Morning, Door Creek. It's a great day. Our youngest, can you believe it? Our youngest of five is graduating from high school today. Oh, my word. Yeah, we're excited. Luke and I are going to go camping to the Tetons and Yellowstone starting tomorrow. That's good. It's really good. So um, if you're a guest here, my name's Mark, one of the pastors, and we're really glad that you're here. And uh, can I just give a shout out to those of you who um, are all about our food pantry garden? So thanks for uh, getting all the weeds out, and now it's all rototilled, and I noticed this morning it's all planted. So one of the things I love about this place is we grow food on our property that goes to our local food pantries, right? And helps people in need. Awesome. And as we see stuff growing, like we've got a garden in our garden and maybe you've got one or we're driving through the cornfields and seeing the soybeans sprouting up. As you're seeing things grow, it's to remind us, yeah, that's what we're supposed to be doing too, right? On the journey with Christ. So some summer growth challenges for you. In my note from Mark, if you didn't get that, it's because we don't know who you are, have your information. So the communication card can help with that. So a couple challenges, right? Getting in the Word. So the challenge is two Psalms a day and a chapter in the book of Proverbs. That gets us through the Psalms this summer and it gets us through Proverbs at least twice. And then use the, the Word of God to just jumpstart and keep us connected to God in prayer. And so the, the acrostics in there of Acts. And then there's a summer give challenge about continuing to grow in our generosity and taking the next step on the ladder, wherever that is for you and learning to trust God with uh, our wealth and the resources he's given us. And then the last thing was, hey, take advantage of the summer to connect with people, God's place in your life that are far from God right now and uh, move towards them with some just warm, kind hospitality. So um, I imagine as we catch up with Jesus in Luke 18, that it was kind of like a baby dedication service. And I've, I've been to a few, right, Father of Five, and uh, I've been a pastor for over 30 years. I've done a lot. In fact, at College Church in Wheaton, where I was a pastor for 23 years, uh, it was a regular part of the services. Here we do kind of a special party that's uh, on a Saturday, and it's, it's a really cool thing. We used to do it right here on the platform. And uh, it was, you know, college was kind of formal. I was always in, in, a, in a suit and tie. And we had lavalier mics in the day, not this fancy gizmo here. Uh, but lavalier mics, and it didn't happen all the time, but once in a while it happened, and it was really funny, but very horrific for the moms. You would take the baby, and as you shared with the congregation what this child's name was and what it meant, and, and how you prayed over a prayer of blessing, you know, the, the baby's like right there, right? Right by the lavalier, right there. You know where this is going. <laughs> and every now and then, there'd be an explosion <laughs> that would be amplified, right, over the whole. And everybody is just belly laughing, and the mother's like, oh my gosh, horrified. And I'm always, I was always laughing, but kind of checking. Make, <laughs> you know, it was, it was only funny if the diaper was in place, right? So I imagine... You know, and, and like when we did it at college church, so you'd have this, this row of parents, right? And some of them were doing this, and some of the babies were asleep, and some were kind of fussy. 
And, you know, it was a little nervous for the parents. And some of them were, like, just really fussy crying. And so I, that's kind of what I see. Except it's not in a building. It's out in the open air. The people that have been just chased away by the disciples. Hey, hey, Jesus didn't have time for you. Jesus says, no, no, no. No, no, no. Let him come. Right? So they, they start this little baby dedication. And uh, he's seated. As in my mind's eye, he's seated. And the parents... You know, give him to Jesus. Is Jesus taking the baby and looking at the baby? He's asking mom and dad, what's your baby's name? And then he puts his hand on the child and he prays a prayer blessing. And so it's, it's right like he's done the last baby. And this guy, he's this rich guy, just goes right up to Jesus. And man, he's got a question that has everything to do with just what's been going on. Because Jesus didn't just say, hey, let the children come for the kingdom belongs to such as these, the marginalized people in society, the kingdom's door, our doors are open wide to them. He didn't just say the kingdom belongs to them. He says, actually, entrance into the kingdom is you gotta, you gotta receive the kingdom and be like a little child. You've gotta be 100% dependent upon God like the child is on those who care for him. So having just heard that, he's got a question. A great follow-up question. Jesus, I need to talk to you. Yeah, well, what is it? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do? So have you ever had that? Not, maybe not in those words, but somebody come to you. What if they came to you this week? Somebody who's, maybe they just lost a close friend or loved one. They're just thinking about their mortality. Maybe they just heard some really big news from the doctor. And they're thinking about dying. And they ask you, hey, I know you're kind of a spiritual person. I don't know how they put it. I hear you go to church. I, I think you're religious. I want to know, how can I be sure that I'm going to heaven? How would, how would you work out that response? How do you work it out in your own mind? If you were to die today, I... No, I'm going to heaven because, or I'm not sure. How, how do you work that out? Well, let's catch up with Jesus because that's exactly the question, right? So we're in Luke 18, reading at verse 18. If you're new to the Bible, we're in the back parts called the New Testament. And these first four gospels give us these beautiful portraits of Jesus. So Matthew's the first one, then Mark, then Luke, and then John. So just after Mark, just before John. And don't ever hesitate. There's a lot of books in the Bible. If you're new to the Bible, don't ever hesitate to grab that table of contents, right? So you there? Luke 18, verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible for man is possible 
with God. Peter said to him, we've left all, we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. So today's message is titled, Missing Something? And it comes out of Jesus' response. You still lack one thing. And here's the teaching that we want to get a hold of here and here. When we love anything more than Jesus, when we trust in anything other than Jesus, we're still missing something. We're lacking the one thing that matters forever. So we're going to run into two guys. The first is the rich young ruler. The other is a blind beggar in Jericho. His name is Bartimaeus. So let's catch up first with the rich ruler. So um, ruler means he has some kind of position of leadership in his community. It could be a religious position. He could be a ruler of the synagogue. It could be kind of like a governmental civic magistrate, something like that. We don't know. We know he's young, not from Luke's account, but from Mark's. We know he's rich, very rich. And um, we know he approaches Jesus with a sense of flattery, good teacher. And in calling him a good teacher, we understand he doesn't fully understand who Jesus is because that's all he is, a good teacher. And maybe in the flattering remark, he's hoping to get a flattering response that basically lets him know that he's good with God and he's punched his ticket. So in his question, though, what do we understand about his construct, how he thinks the answer is going to go? How does he ask the question? What must I, what's the next word? Do. Ah. So he's in this construct that says, the, the, the reason I can be certain that I'm going to heaven is because I know I've done the work. I earn it. We earn that. It's not given to anyone. You got to be a really good person and you, you got to have a record of it. You got to kind of check off the right boxes. That's his construct, right? And so Jesus says, uh, first of all, he, he goes after who he thinks he is. Hey, hey, you called me good. Now, remember, no one's good but God alone. Are you calling me God? He's, he's, he's messing with his mind about who he thinks Jesus is because he doesn't get who Jesus is. Then the second thing is that he takes him at his construct. Okay, you think you can earn your way to heaven? Great, you know the commandments. So let's go. Let's try these on for size. And he lists them off, right? No adultery, no murder, no stealing, no lying. Honor your father and mother. And we can hear him in his mind going, check, 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 you know, discount, double check, right? It's all good. I'm good. I'm there. All right. The first service, they were a little sleepy. They didn't get the discount, <laughs> double check. All right. So he's blind, not just to who Jesus is, but he's blind to his own self in his heart. See, he's convinced. He's kept it up. What does he say? He's like excited. Hey, Jesus, I've kept all these commands since my youth. Dude, I've been all over this. These boxes have been checked a long time ago, and I keep checking them. I'm good, right? I'm good. That's where he's going. And Jesus 
gives this stunning reply. Look down at verse 20, 22. You still lack one thing. You're, you're missing something. And just so you know, Jesus isn't directing his attention necessarily to a box that needs to be checked, but to a heart that needs to be inspected, a heart that needs to be checked. He needs to see his greatest love, what he's truly trusting in for eternal life. And he's a good guy. And when Jesus says, hey, you still lack one thing, we can almost hear him say, just tell me, man, tell me. I'll do the work. Man, I'll do it. Just tell me what it is. And Jesus says, you got to sell everything. You got to sell everything. And you need to give it to the poor. And as you do, he says, you need to know. As you divest and invest in them, you are going to receive all kinds of riches. So I'm not just asking to give, give up something. I'm asking you to receive eternal life and riches in heaven. When you do that, he says, you're ready. You're ready to follow me. You're on that path towards heaven. So Jesus is helping him see what he doesn't see. Number one, he's not as good as he thinks he is. He actually has not kept all the commandments. And he's giving us a really clear picture of what it looks like to receive the kingdom like a little child with 100% dependence upon God. Because his dependence, we're going to find out, is not on God. Well, it might be a little bit about on God, but not fully. He, he's, he's got his dependence on himself, his ability to keep the law, and Jesus is tearing that all down. So let's go back to the Ten Commandments. So look at this slide. The Ten Commandments break down in the two great commandments. The first four, sometimes we call it the first tablet, deal with our relationship with God, loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus says, sums up the whole law. And the second is like unto the first, and that is that we love our neighbor as ourselves. The first four, no gods, no idols, don't take God's name in vain, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. That's all about our relationship with God. Jesus, as he's going through commandments five through nine, is focusing on his relationship with his neighbor, right? Those are the five that Jesus quotes. And it's interesting that he doesn't quote the very last one. It's, it's, we're paying attention. Hey, there's one missing. And the one that's missing is revealed in his challenge. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And he can't do that. He can't do that. He walks away sad, very sad, because he's very wealthy. And in, in giving him that instruction, he, in a sense, is saying, you forgot the 10th commandment. So let's check out the 10th commandment. Exodus chapter 20 Verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. Now, the difference between envy and coveting is we envy people, we covet their stuff, all right? So, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servants, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor, he said, you, you broke that commandment. You think you have kept all the commands. I'm telling you, you haven't. You actually don't love God above all else, tablet one. 
You love stuff more than God, and you don't love your neighbor as yourself because you're not willing to care. You can't let go of these things. So covetousness, sometimes translated greed. What is it? It's not just desires for things that don't belong to us, that rightly belong to someone else, that you wish that you had. You're willing that they don't have it so that you could, believing that, that you will be happy and that you deserve that actually more than they do. It's not just that you desire it. It's this desire is like on steroids. It's, it's disproportionate, inordinate desire for things that don't belong to us that we want because we're convinced we deserve it and in getting it, we will actually be fulfilled. And Colossians 3 says, actually, greed, covetousness is idolatry. Look at Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So what does it mean that it's an idol, that, that, that our stuff, that money, that possessions are an idol? Well, here's what we do to, to idols. Uh, Keller's little book, uh, Counterfeit Gods, really good book, talks about, well, our response to idols are number one, we, we love idols. We serve idols and we trust in idols. And, and, and the idol here that he's trusting in is is money and his possessions. And, and what he's doing is he is trusting in money and possessions like we do for a lot of different things. That, that's the things that God only can deliver, but they seemingly work for a time really well. So we trust in money and possessions and wealth to give us a sense of significance or identity. So we feel better when we drive the right vehicle, live in the right neighborhood, can go, whatever. We feel something about ourselves. There's not only that, there's security. How we feel about the future is often rooted in, well, you know, I'm saving for that rainy day. Nothing wrong with saving for a rainy day, but we're moving our trust not from God taking care of us in the future, but that I've taken care of my future with this stuff. I'm good. I feel good about that. It's the stuff we turn to, right? When we need a little love and comfort in the midst of hard things in life. It's what we turn to for happiness. And so this, this is an idol that Jesus is uncovering. He's opening his eyes that he actually loves something more than God. And though he wants to know the way to heaven, he's actually, he's more comfortable just hanging on to what he has today than following Jesus' unbelievable challenge. Jesus says, you want a future in heaven? You gotta abandon the loves that you have that are rooted in this world. You gotta abandon the values you have. These things are good things that have become ultimate things. And I'm graciously giving you a mid-course opportunity to correct it. You still, he didn't say, dude, too bad. You've been a lover all your life of money. You know what? You can't do anything about it. It is what it is, and you're not in. He says, you still lack one thing. You can still do it. So Jesus tells him, right? 
Jesus looked at the man. Look at that, verse 24. He looks at him and said, how hard it is for the rich man to enter the kingdom. Dude, I know this is so hard for you. Indeed, it's so hard that it's actually easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone, than for you to enter the kingdom of God. And, and this is really an important thing, that we understand that though money and possessions are neutral spiritually, morally, they actually are a liability for faith, for our walk of faith. So morally, the Bible doesn't say money is the root of all kinds of evil. What does it say? The love of money, that inordinate desire for money, greed, covetousness, that's wrong. So it's morally neutral, but it's spiritually not neutral. It's actually a great liability. The danger is we go, phew, I believe that's probably true, and I'm not a rich person. So we always compare ourselves up. I mean, just look at, they got so much more than we do. That person, they have so much. That person grew up in a wealthy family. They, they, I mean, they, I'm not like that. It is, it's really an interesting thing to think about. The greed is a silent killer that we all have to wrestle with. It's, we continue need to wrestle with it. And it's one of those things that we are very likely to go, I don't think it's an issue. And the, re the reason I say that is just think about this thought. When is the last time you said, God, forgive me. I think I've been greedy here. When is the last time we confessed greed? It's like, I don't know. I've never thought about that. And so Jesus is doing, he, I mean, it's a haunting question. It's a haunting challenge, but it's a gracious thing as he catches up to him and to us to say, hey, 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 hey. It's a liability. It's a liability. So the disciples go, oh, man, we're in trouble. If, if a rich man can't get in, so their construct isn't just he's rich, but that people who are rich are rich because God's blessed them. So a proverb like Proverbs 10.22 would be kind of the, the dominating mindset in, in, in the day. So Proverbs says, the blessings of the Lord brings wealth. So they see this guy's a rich guy, and he's in their mind, he's rich because he's living a righteous kind of a life and God's pleased with that. And so God's rewarding him. That's their construct. So they, Jesus says, no, no. In fact, what he's doing is he's saying to this guy, look, you're treating, you're treating eternal life as if it's some kind of a paycheck that you earn. No, 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 no. It's, it's actually a gift that you receive. And so whether you're rich or poor, you can't earn this. You can only receive it. And what's impossible for you to gain by checking all the boxes is possible for God to give. And God says, Jesus, I can actually help you get through the eye of that needle. And one of the things we ought to continue to go back to is we're the people. Friends, we are the people in this world today of the seven plus billion people that Jesus is talking to, saying it's hard. It's hard 
to enter the kingdom like a child, completely dependent upon God because we have so much and it's such an inconvenient thing to turn to for those things that only God can supply. My identity, my security, my happiness. What's impossible for us to gain is possible for God to give out of his loving mercy and grace. And so I love this quote. Neil Richardson says, God is more demanding than people care to think. Sell everything. Whoa. But also more generous than they dare to hope. Peter says, Lord, are we in the same straits as this guy? Because we left everything. Are we still lacking one thing? Jesus said, who has ever given it up for me in the sake of my kingdom, my rule to extend my rule in the reins of people's hearts and minds, who's ever given anything up, in this world you'll get it back many times in the next eternal life. And so if we love anything more than Jesus, he's saying to us, Mark, you got something missing. Something's missing. You still lack one thing. The one thing that matters forever, complete dependence upon God and his son, Jesus Christ. So let me give an important correction here. Because you might be thinking, well, then the only way I can know I'm going to heaven is i got to sell everything. Is that what Jesus is teaching? That's what Jesus challenged that man with. And it wasn't so that he could check that box. It's so that he could check his heart and see what he truly was trusting in and what he truly loved. In chapter 19, we're going to run into a guy named Zacchaeus, who's a crooked tax collector, whose life is turned upside down by Jesus. And the text tells us that Zacchaeus stands before Jesus and says, today I'm giving half of what I owe to the poor, and anybody I've cheated out, I'm going to make restitution fourfold. I'll pay him back four times what I cheated him out of. And Jesus doesn't say, dude, that is so close. Like, you're just almost there. If you give up the other half, dude, you're in. He says, today, salvation has come to Zacchaeus' house. So the theology isn't, yeah, that's right. We earn salvation, and the way we earn it is we got to completely give it all away. No, we've got to give our heart completely to God. So, okay, if, if greed and covetousness is a silent killer, that, man, I can't remember, honestly, I cannot remember a time in my life where I've confessed greed. Ha! I've loved Jesus a long time. I can't remember. Can you? So how do we know? How do we know this is right in our hearts? So I just started asking myself questions. Maybe these questions would be helpful to you. Just right now, is there something that, or has there been something where I just feel God has been prompting me? It's just quietly in my heart through his spirit saying, Mark, you, you're, you're, you're still lacking one thing. You're, you're still hanging on to something that's in the wrong place. I think a question I, I need to ask myself, am I content with what God has given me today? Am I content? Do I always want more, something more? 
Convinced that when I get it, then I'm good. I won't ask for anything more. Contentment. Do I sometimes find myself buying something to make me feel better? Do I daydream about how I can get more money? How we could broaden the investments? Do I spend more than I earn? Am I jealous of others and their possessions? Here's a completely different side of it that Jesus was talking about earlier, and I think it's Luke 12 and Matthew 6. Do I worry about this stuff? Do I worry a lot about not having enough for whatever it is? Am I anxious over that? Do I give to God and others? Do I give to the poor? Or then on the whole trust thing, so when I, when I feel secure about my future, is it, is it because I, I've saved for the future? Is that, is that the root of security? Or, or is it in Jesus, his love for me? My identity, is it in the stuff I have? Is it in God, who I am in him? Where do I go for happiness? These are the questions that we need to ask ourselves. Honestly, God, show us our hearts. Show me my heart, Lord. Because I know the right answer is, I, I'm supposed to love you with all my heart, so I know that's the right answer. And Lord, I'm just praying, I, I'm not holding on to something else that isn't you. When we love anything more than Jesus, we're still missing the one thing that matters forever. All right, let's catch up with Bart, Bartimaeus, verse 35. You there? As Jesus approached Jericho, so remember back in chapter 9, verse 51, Luke tells us Jesus is making a beeline for Jerusalem. He's 15 miles outside of Jerusalem here, okay? Jesus approaches Jericho. A blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way, like it's a parade, right? Those who were at the front of the line rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Shut up. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. So, Bart, do you see him? Sitting on the side of the road. He's been there a while. It's like an everyday thing. Can you spare some change? Maybe, you know, maybe the cup's rattling. Can, can, can you, would you, would you have some pity on me? He, he hears, and he's got good ears. He's got good ears. What in the world is going on today? Hey, what's happening? Jesus of, Na Jesus of Nazareth. 
He knows exactly who that is. He's no, he knows the reports of his teaching, of his miracles. This guy doesn't have eyes, but he sees clearly who Jesus is. He's not just a good teacher. He calls him son of David. So if you're new to the Bible, son of David is a messianic title. Ooh, big words. It's a title of this promised savior that God's been promising his people all through the Old Testament. He's the son of David. 2 Samuel 7, uh, 7. God says to, Samuel, uh, to, to David, he says, David, you're gonna have a son. He's gonna set up an eternal kingdom and he's gonna sit on that throne forever, like forever. And this is the guy, he's the son of David. He doesn't just see him as a good teacher, son of David, have mercy on me. He believes that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the savior, God's king. But the crowd tells him to shut up, just stay there on the curb. This isn't about you. Jesus doesn't care about people like you. Just, and they were dead wrong. Jesus hears his cry for mercy. He stops. He asks him to bring him to him. And then he asks this awesome question. Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? So, I mean, he, he, he just asked the logical question for a person who believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the Son of God, who believed that he's been healing all these people. He says, well, I want eyes. I want to see. He goes for the big kahuna, right? Now, if he doesn't believe, if he believes that Jesus is just a good teacher, hey, Jesus, could you spare some change? If he just believes that Jesus is a good teacher, hey, Jesus, um, man, I've heard like you're really good. So could you just synthesize for me your top five life lessons? Could you just, could I have like a private one with you? Just download that. That'd be awesome. Or if he's just a good teacher. Hey, Rabbi, I heard that you've been like blessing kids like in other places. Could you, you gotta, could you spare a blessing for me? Life's hard. Nope. He says, I want to see. And that request is rooted in his faith, recognized by Jesus. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he sees he's no longer on the curb, right? He's following Jesus. He's joined the parade and others with him join new eyes, a new heart, a new song. So let's compare these two. Let's compare the two. So you've got the rich man, and you've got the poor beggar. So just kind of lay them over your, your heart. Go, help me see who am I more like in this story here. So the rich, right? He's uh, at the center of life and society. The poor is definitely out on the margins. Uh, the rich one wants the promise of heaven. He's concerned about his future pretty confident that he's taken um, care to ensure that he's good, right? The other one is actually all about today, and um, he has actually no confidence when he comes to Jesus in anything that he's done. He doesn't lay anything on the table. He doesn't say, good thing, uh, I, I've been doing all this good stuff for you since I was a kid. N none of that. One doesn't get who Jesus is. He's just a good teacher. Something and someone I can learn from. The other, he's the promised savior. One's heart affections and trust is not completely on God. The other, completely on God for mercy. 
One gives up the quest, right, for eternal life, walks away sad. The other, like that persistent widow at the earlier part of chapter 18, he will not stop crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Jesus, have mercy on me. He won't stop. One walks away sad because he can't make the transfer. So do you do banking online? So you're moving funds, right? You got funds moving and you go transfer, one-time transfer, this fund to that fund. And then the last thing you need to do is you got to hit submit, right? He can't hit the button. He can't do it. He knows what he needs to do. He's got to transfer his trust from the stuff of this life to God. All of it. All of it. He knows it. There's, no, there's not an intellectual problem here. He just can't hit the submit. Because you know what? When you do this with money, when you do this with money, then money and possessions do a weird thing. I call it the tree by the side of the fence principle. Have you ever seen it? Where there's a tree planted by a fence, and over time, as the tree grows, it starts to just move and consume. Have you ever seen it? Where that, that whole fence is enveloped inside of the tree. And that, that's what happens with gods. We don't just trust in them and love them, but we serve them and we end up becoming a slave to them and he can't let it go because he's never given it away in his life. And so it now holds him and he knows what he needs to do. He cannot hit the submit button. And so we talk about money here. We talk about generosity. We talk about it this summer. And you still think it's about money. It's about your heart. You still think it's what God wants from you. It's what God wants for you. And you're stuck. And it'd be like asking Jesus for a little change. When Jesus wants to give you life forever. Which one? So how does the answer go in your heart today? What must I do to inherit eternal life? When Jesus comes to you today and say, what do you want me to do for you? Are you sure you're not just asking for change? What's the object of your faith? Don't lose your way. In a pluralistic, tolerant culture, we value sincerity and intensity when it comes to faith. That's a bunch of nonsense. Your faith is only as good as the object it's placed in. If I get to the, on top of the John Hancock, it's not called that anymore, Anyway, whatever it is. If I get up top of the tallest building in Chicago and I tell you, 
I know I can jump off of this and fly my way down a Michigan Avenue. I know, and I'm, I've got all kinds of intensity, and I, I, I got all kinds of sincerity. You know my ability to fly has nothing, and my confidence that I can fly has nothing to do with my intense desire to fly, my sincerity that I can do it. It has everything to do with can Mark my fear actually fly? And if I can't, it ain't going to work out well for me. And we know the answer to that. Don't lose your way. We live in a day that honors sincerity, intensity of faith. It's all about the object of your faith. And Jesus is asking us, what is it? He uncovered it for the man when he said, go sell it all. Do you know? And this is the beauty of the gospel. This is what we hold on to. And, and this is what holds these two stories together. It's the gospel. I mean, why is 31 through 34 here? That's what I was asking myself when we're reading the Bible and we slow down and we go, I don't get it. Stay there. Stay at the I don't get it. Because I didn't get it. Why didn't Luke just go? Because remember what Luke said at the beginning. He carefully ordered his gospel. Why does he stick 31 through 34 between the two? Why did he just go, I mean, the, the, the one guy is just the mere opposite. Why does he go to the rich man to blind Bartimaeus? Why this talk about Jesus going to Jerusalem in fulfillment of the scriptures where he's gonna be spit at and flogged and mocked and he's gonna die and rise again? Why? Why is that there? Because it reminds us that Jesus isn't just a good teacher. He is the promised Messiah who is fulfilling God's plan revealed in the Old Testament prophets. And he went to Jerusalem, was going to Jerusalem for us. He's the one who left the treasure of heaven and he took on poverty so that we could receive the treasure of heaven and actually be called heaven's treasure. He is the one who suffered misery so that we could find his mercy. The good news. Are you still lacking one thing? Let that which is hard in your life take you to the one who suffered hard for you and me, that we could have life today, life forever. Let's pray. Lord, there's so much more I want to say. And so I thank you that your spirit is here using your word in everyone who's listening to me's heart right now. Thank you for hard words that are gracious words. Thank you that there is still time today to make a course correction. Thank you for showing us the factions of our heart that aren't you, which means they're not strong enough for the things that we trust in that aren't worthy enough to be trusted in. And Lord, help us, free us from that which holds us right now. Give us complete dependent faith Help us to hit that submit button, everything we have. And may we be a church in a place that is living our lives generously, reflecting your unbelievably generous love in your son, pointing people to their only hope in this life and for the next. 
May your love continue to ravish us, the wonders of it, the beauty of it. And even now as we celebrate your great love through communion, would you forgive us and cleanse us and wrap your loving arms around us once again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.